Good afternoon, brethren. Actually, I um, I had to smile because uh, when Eric said that he assumed that the eldership here chose uh, speakers based on their relation to the topic, that worked out great for you. And uh, I'm looking at myself and I'm going, suffering. I know, let's get Brother E. Orr Reynolds from Smart Road to come out here and talk about suffering. So I don't know if I didn't know I was known for suffering. But, um, I suppose I have suffered. I, I'm, and actually this afternoon, I'll, I'll tell you that I, I, I feel blessed that I have suffered uh, for the cause of Christ. I don't brag to say that. I say it to share. And I, I hope, um, even though this might seem like kind of an odd subject to, to finish the weekend on, I, I felt almost like Sam's message would have been a good one. And I thought about saying, okay, any questions? And we'll just, we'll just move on and God bless. But it, it makes sense when you think about it because once you realize your place with the Lord and once you've dedicated yourself to the Lord and once you get into the habit and the practice of standing up for the Lord, it's not all peaches and cream. It's not all candy apples and walks in the park. I'm going to share a story. This is a weird story. And, and for I, I've, I might have shared it here before. It would have been years and years ago, and I, I pull it out again because I think it's a good example. And I actually think it kind of ended up being somewhat prophetic for this nation and not just my own personal life. Um, so if you remember this, I apologize, but I hope you'll appreciate the context. <laughs> way, way back on May 1st, 1997... So we're talking about 18 years ago now. Um, I used to be an art director employed at a, at a, um, a, a downtown, you know, and you know it's evil when you say downtown, a downtown advertising agency in Kansas City. Um, our clientele was mostly restaurants and hotels, so I didn't feel too bad about that. I wasn't selling anything I, I didn't morally agree with. Um, I, I had accepted Christ by that time in my life, so that was a great concern to me. And I, I don't know if you remember, and if you don't, it's okay, and I don't know if you care, and if you don't, it's okay too. But, but there used to be a television show called Ellen. Now, there's currently, I think, a television show called Ellen. Uh, it's a different show, uh, same person. Um, and uh, but back in the day, it was a situation comedy on primetime television. And the day before May 1st, so whatever that last day of April was, um, was what to many people was a, a much-needed, penultimate uh, uh, indication of how far our country was progressing episode. And it was known as the coming out episode. And for those of you who know I'm talking about, you know that she is an, an outed uh, lesbian. And it was on that show, her character, I never watched the show, but I've read enough about it, and believe me, I heard enough about it, and that's part of the, what the story has to do with that I know this stuff, but on the show, apparently her character was struggling with being straight, and she, you know, week after week, there was, the hilarity was her trying to uh, figure out how to date boys and, and how to relate to men, and so finally her character was going to come out for who she really, really was, and as you can imagine, and those of you who know me personally, when you work in marketing and communications, you work with a lot of liberals. I, you, that stereotype will save you time, I, I guarantee you. Um, and 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 yeah, I'm used to that. There are all there always. Uh, it seems like there are always like only maybe two or three of us uh, who uh, stand out in those crowds in this in this business. 
But the day before May 1st, that's all anyone talked about all day long at work. They were looking forward to this like we look forward to the second coming of Christ, and that's almost not an exaggeration. You can't imagine how much people talked about it. You can't imagine how much they were excited. They could just, if only this day could just get to 8.30 tonight. Because one of the most important things in American history was about to happen. Ellen was going to come out. And they could hardly wait. And so the conversations all around me were, were talking about this. Now, almost everyone who worked with me knew that I was and am a Christian. And so the little digs started being flown my way, just loud enough for me to hear. And I don't tell this story to, to martyrize myself. It's, it's an example. But, well, I know one person who's probably not going to be watching, Teehee. I wonder if Phil's going to be watching tonight. We should ask him. And they were saying it loud enough, obviously, for me to hear. And so sure enough, eventually, so, Phil, you going to watch the Ellen show tonight? No, probably not. Oh, really? You know, very mocking, because they know why. And eventually, even I was even invited to a party to watch the episode, because they were all going to get together. Most of the people at work were going to get together and, and uh, uh, drink beers and eat uh, nachos and watch Ellen come out of the closet. And I got invited, uh, sarcastically. It was obvious it was sarcastically, but I got invited. And I, I didn't, obviously I didn't go. So on May 1st, the morning of May 1st, I really didn't want to go to work. I'm not comparing myself to Esther here, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm I, in my own meager life, I'm trying to, trying to draw a connection. And, I, and there, there's a connection there. It might be a dotted one, but it's a connection. Esther suffered a persecution of dread when you really think about it. The dread of impending death. Now, I didn't think they were going to get around me and, and uh, chase me up the hill, uh, Monster of Frankenstein style at work, uh, chase me up to the tower and then set the building on fire. But I did worry. I started to worry, am I going to lose my job? Because they they were very adamant now, and then I thought, well, I'm just I'm just being paranoid. Yeah, it's just it's a big deal to them. I understand it. God predicted this. I I, I read about terrible times in the last days. I, I this this must be part of what's going on. And bear in mind, Reynolds, you chose this profession. You know, and there are lots of people you know who don't even who can't even relate to what's going on conversational wise at, at your at your place of business. So I tried to put it in com in in perspective, even 18 years ago, whatever. I think I was about 12 at that time. And so I told myself, just, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. And I prayed. And I prayed. And I got to tell you, God protected me on May 1st, 1997, but he didn't let me escape the, the, the torrential storm that I anticipated. In fact, it was worse than I thought it would ever be. It was completely inappropriate for a professional set. The next day, several, and when I say several, I'm, I'm talking about 15, 20 people, physically gathered around me in a semicircle, demanding to know why I didn't watch the show. First thing in the morning. 
They all came in. That was the greatest show ever. It was so hilarious. Oh, I'm so, that was so awesome. Wasn't it just great? This is just a, this is a milestone in the progress of American culture. Who couldn't watch this show? Obviously, it's so good for mankind in this country. Phil, did you watch it? Again, no. I quietly answered, trying to keep it as quiet as possible. Just doing my work. Why not? Well, I didn't, I, at first I said, I, I think I said something innocuous, like, I didn't want to. Now, granted, I could have said, because it's against what our Lord and Savior would have us to do, and, that, and that's my cowardice. But I started with, I didn't want to. Well, why not? Because I don't agree that it was good for this country. Well, why not? Because, and I started to say, it's against, and then they all finished, your religion. I gotta tell I, I don't know how that, how awful this sounds in my telling, but I can tell you, I was shaking. I was a young man, believe it or not, even 18 years ago, and, and I, I was shaking. And I thought, how ugly is this going to get? And, you know, I, just by coincidence, I had been reading about the persecutions in Rome, you know, for, for a class I was, I was teaching at, at, at the time at uh, Independence Church Christ. And, I, you know, I'm envisioning my head on a stick set on fire. And I thought, this is how it starts. Because, you know, when the, you know when the Bible talks about gnashing of teeth? These people were gnashing. I'd never seen gnashing. I saw gnashing. They were gnashing their teeth. Why not, Glenn? Just demanding it. Now, as I said, I'm not going to compare my that to the same thing Esther was suffering, but I was trying to put it in context and, and put it in a context for you because I want you to look at your own lives. So I forget which brother said it. I think it was yesterday. I don't know. The weekend blends together. But someone said, I want to try to apply this to your own life. And I try to do the exact same thing. It's one thing to talk about Esther thousands and thousands of years ago and then just kind of isolate her. These lessons are for us. These lessons for us to apply to our own lives. So, and there are other, you know, I, apparently I'm known for suffering, so the elders must know a lot of other stories they remember, but, but that's the one I chose. And the elders, I think, wisely picked a, a, a passage of Scripture, and I do wish, please, that you would turn with me to it uh, in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, to kind of focus on as we look at this notion of suffering. Now, now as our brother showed us yesterday, when... Um, I'll go back to Esther here, chapter 4. You don't have to keep turning back. Stay in 1 Peter, 1 Peter please. But you know, in Esther chapter 4, verse 3, And in each and every province where the command and decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. As our brother mentioned yesterday, were the Jews suffering for their cause and their faith to God at a moment in time? Arguably, no. Arguably no, but Esther was, and, and when we get into First Peter um, chapter four verses twelve through sixteen, it's one thing to suffer; it's anticipated to suffer, and we'll talk a little bit about that momentarily. We can all expect to suffer, 
whether we're a Christian or not. So what makes it good suffering? If you suffer as a Christian. That's why I erased your words, Sam. I'm sorry. I wanted to get those up there. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12-16 through 16. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. I'll insert here. You just expect to suffer for that, right? There are still laws in this country. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Let's let's go. Let's take this verse by verse, and and uh, I, I too am looking at the clock, and I know. It's been an awesome weekend, by the way, but I also know that many people have long roads home. Verse 12, don't think trials, even fiery ones, as being strange or not to be expected. This happens to a lot of well-intended Christians. They go through their days with the belief that when things are going well, they must be doing well in the sight of God. There are churches that teach this, congregations out there that teach this. And when things are going poorly, they must have offended God in some way. I can't figure out what I did wrong, but I need to pray about this so I can figure out what I did to offend God. (laughs) Hence, when they experience suffering, they drive themselves crazy trying to atone for whatever it might have been that they did to deserve God's disapproval. Eric's got more money than me, so God must like him better. What's he doing that I'm not doing, or or whatever. I remember one time... um, I remember one time I did lose a job. Eric, I was telling you this story the other day. I did lose a job one time, and uh, and uh, I promise it was for legitimate reasons that I had nothing to do with. And and, and uh, I, I, I unfortunately I bumped into a sister, and we were we were, you know, talking about you know prayers for Phil because you know he lost his job, and she approached me later and said, "What do you think you've done to offend God that this has happened?" And I, I, I don't think that's the kind of attitude we should necessarily have. I do believe that God corrects those he loves. I think the scriptures tell us that. So it's an option. It's a possibility. But I don't think it's an automatic. Verse 13. As Christians, we are to be identified with Christ. Let's get into why the suffering. Even in suffering, as he also suffered, all of our experiences, especially the ones of dramatic and substantial proving of his, of his divine will, are building up to the ultimate day of revealing, the culmination of all these thousands of years of history. Think about it. It's not just you suffering what little thing that you're suffering right now for the cause of Christ. You are an example of of fulfilling prophecy of the body of Christ. Going back thousands of years, 2,000 years as, as, as the body of Christ, thousands of years further back as the people of God, as building up a, 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 a cloud, this, this, this structure of proving the will of God, and you're a piece of that. You're a brick in that wall. The day of judgment will be the day that this all comes to a culmination. On that day, all will be revealed. Everyone, even the most wicked and deluded and arrogant, 
will bow to Christ either in praise or in mortal terror. Right? I love this. I'm a, I'm a man. My wife will attest to that. And and I I am so glad I, I have my wife in my life because she she brings she brings levels of compassion that that I struggle with sometimes. But as a man, ladies, I already have nodding men over here. I, I as a I I like the day of judgment because right will be right and wrong will be wrong and there will be no more clouds and no more kicking up of dust and no more excuses. There'll be no more confusion, no more smoke screens, and no more bullying of the truth with twisted lies. And the righteous will be saved for eternity. If you can find it within yourself to put your sufferings, no matter how burdensome, into just such a perspective, if you can put a macro on it instead of a personal micro, you can rejoice now in the confidence that you will be glad with exceeding joy on that day. Verse 14, note that this glorifying and suffering only applies, if it be, for the name of Christ. That is the disclaimer. That is the stipulation. We cannot and should not look to martyrize ourselves over fabricated sufferings or commonplace occurrences of time and chance happening to us all, the writer of Ecclesiastes mentions in chapter 9, verse 11. And we'll get into sufferings for reasons not for the name of Christ in the next verse. But I have witnessed in my life many examples of people, you know these folks, who literally create their own messes and setbacks so that they can feel sorry for themselves and so that hopefully you'll feel sorry for them too? This is not what I'm talking about. This is a terrible waste of everyone's time, and it speaks not of faithfulness and sanctification, but frankly more of some if I can be an armchair Freud here, some psychological or emotional damage within such a person, I believe. It is a pathetic and ugly thing to watch someone constantly vying for sympathy and attention and upping their game with even greater levels of self-created messes if the previous one didn't bring the attention that they were first hoping for. But enough about such people. That's not what this lesson is about. For I would, as I said, I would guess we all know such folks and we don't need to mull that over too long. So moving on, when we do suffer for the actual cause of Christ, we can take joy in such circumstances because we are blessed. The Bible tells us we are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. That is comforting. That is where our mind needs to go. This to me is the ultimate example of the calling to be transformed, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I really believe that transform. The, the older I get, the more I see that transformed to just being a 180 from the way you used to think. A full 180. A total weirdo in the eyes of the world. Making our perspective completely different than the perspective of the world. To the world, it is absolute insanity to take joy in suffering. Suffering to the world is something to react to with all haste, to relieve oneself of as quickly as possible. Suffering is distasteful and repugnant. Anyone who would take comfort in suffering, and especially anyone who would actually find joy in suffering, must be either insane or some sort of pervert. It is callings like this that truly separate us from the world, and in my mind, therefore, truly lend themselves to our actual sanctification, our separation from the world on our path towards God's perfecting of us for His name's sake. 
there's a cleansing fire going on here, and we're going to talk about that. The Old King James translation includes an additional phrase in this verse that makes the distinction between the world's perspective and that of the faithful Christian, and it adds, on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. And I like that. Um, I say this, I, I, I always do this, before I quote a commentary, I always say the following, and I, so I'm, I'm going to do it again. I understand that not everyone likes commentaries, and I absolutely respect that. And please know that I will never tell you that a commentary is a substitute for you studying. Okay? Now, having said that, I'm rather enthusiastic sometimes about some things I read, and I share them. So uh, this is from a commentary, and I liked it. The essential idea is that if they were called to suffer in the cause of the Redeemer, they would not be left or forsaken. They might hope that God would impart his spirit to them in proportion to their sufferings in behalf of religion, and that they would have augmented joy and peace. This is doubtless the case with those who suffer persecution, and this is the secret reason why they are so sustained in their trials, why it looks weird to the world that they look calm and happy. Their persecutions are made the reason of a much more copious effusion of the spirit on their souls. The same principle applies doubtless to all forms of trial which the children of God pass through, and in sickness, bereavement, loss of property, disappointment in their worldly plans, and death itself. They may hope that larger measures of the spirit's influences will rest upon them. Hence, it is often gain to the believer to suffer. I like that a lot. And so I, 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 I put it out there. For, okay, verse 15. Herein lies the rub. And the main gist of our lesson, which I've already revealed. In order to share in his, in his glory, the suffering must be done in his name for his cause. That's how we share in, in, in the suffering and share in the glory. The suffering must be a result of your Christian faith and religion, and not the result of any crime that could be laid to your charge. It must also not be the result of morally sinful action, not the result of being a busybody. In all such instances, you would have brought that suffering on yourself as a natural result of offending the sensibilities of even this wicked society. And there is no glory in that. The scripture makes it clear. In that, you would be no different in other words, than the common thief or the evil person or the gossipy intruder. And you should suffer such natural punishments and shame, just like the common thief, etc. It is a tendency of man and a deception of the devil to try to spin such moments into moments of public sympathy. Have you noticed this in our world today? When caught red-handed, the more crafty of offenders can and will drum up tremendous support and even organize causes to publicly justify their behavior. They'll start getting a website going and, and you know, send money here. They'll use tears. They'll use twisted logic and they'll use flattery. They'll appeal to man's weaker nature of misguided compassion. They'll even project their guilt in order to exploit the guilty consciences of others. If I give money to this wherever this website says to send the money, maybe some of the guilt will come off of me. And before they're through, they'll manage to convince an impressive number of people that not only are they justified in their criminal actions, but that they're actually innocent. 
And the word innocent starts getting thrown around. Such glorifying will be dissected and cut down. Here I go. Here's my man thing. Dissected and cut down by that double-edged sword of the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And that sword will show no mercy in its exposure of lies and truth. Verse 16, the verse from which the lesson's title comes. There are many types of suffering that don't necessarily bear shame for the victim. And I, I thought about talking more about this, and it, it would make for a much longer sermon, so I won't, so I apologize. But I do want to acknowledge that I do believe that even suffering, there are, there are many different kinds of suffering for the cause of Christ, and I'm talking about public suffering against persecution, but you can suffer in silence for the cause of Christ, too, on a very, very personal level. And I, I do acknowledge that. There are many types of suffering that don't bear shame for the victim. Typically, no one's embarrassed that they've been diagnosed with cancer. No one is embarrassed that they lost a loved one in death. No one is necessarily embarrassed that they fell victim to some physical accident. But suffering for the sake of the Lord in many circumstances can be extremely embarrassing. I was embarrassed at work. I was. I was firm in my convictions, and I, I that didn't shake. But I was, I was very embarrassed, and I was very scared. It is embarrassing to be publicly mocked and ridiculed. It is profoundly sad to part ways with a loved one over the word of God. It is socially embarrassing to noticeably do without the many things that the world esteems highly. And the shame might not come in actual verbal attacks. It might come in more subtle, but just as hurtful forms. We all have different degrees of thickness of skin. And I think God sees that. And I think the devil sees it, big time. It could just be certain disapproving looks or mocking smirks or whispers between others obviously talking about you, social ostracism, etc., all of this, I do believe, qualifies as a certain level of suffering. And all of it, when endured for the sake of Christ, as much as it embarrasses and demeans you in the public eye, it glorifies God. God isn't embarrassed at all. And can you think about that? Can you remember that? God is not embarrassed, embarrassed at all. And adds further to the accumulating worldwide evidence that is constantly building towards the ultimate moment of glory on the day of judgment. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. If we could stay that bold in our hearts and our minds at all times, it will get us through. This is the attitude we are to have. This is the spirit we are to exhibit. And we are not to be ashamed of each other in the body of Christ either. We should never be ashamed of the society and fellowship of those who are true Christians, even if they are poor or weak or unattractive, or a social outcast. I mentioned earlier that my personal experience I thought was prophetic for not only me, but for this country. Eighteen years ago, Philip Reynolds sat in a, uh, in, a down, in a downtown ad agency, surrounded by 20 people who were literally gnashing their teeth at him because he didn't watch a gay show. Just put it bluntly. In 2015, look it up, people are being arrested or preaching what the Bible has to say about homosexuality. Not so much in this country yet, but there are lots and lots and lots of people who are looking forward to the day that what we do here is called a hate crime. 
And the day may come where we may be visiting each other in jail. And this is my opinion for, for, the, for the record. This isn't in the scripture. I predict that within two generations we will be. And I hate that for our children. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And again, no one was going to kill me at 9th and Central in downtown Kansas City. But I can tell you that my imagination went from gnashed teeth and harsh accusations to weapons in people's hands pretty easily. It is also true that we are reviled and despised by many. Our views, ever more so with each passing day, are regarded as bigoted, as narrow-minded, as laughably fundamental, and, this is the rub, increasingly harmful to society, and even potentially criminal. In this respect, we suffer, as did the early Christian martyrs, and we, as they, glorify God in the name of Christ for our sufferings. Okay, so... That all makes sense, but can you give me a little bit more? Why must we suffer? Why why did why this design? Among other things, it's a matter of building one's spiritual character. Suffering is a great contributor to the process of spiritual purification and strength. Brother David hinted at that in his lesson earlier. What did he say? Adversity builds character? I think that's what he said. Adversity builds character. That's what I'm getting at. Suffering tends to force things into perspective, to force us to clarify our priorities. If we lay down on a beautiful, a, a beautiful soft cushion colored 50 shades of gray, we can get awfully cozy. But it's when 20 people are surrounding you demanding to know why you didn't watch a TV show that you really kind of learn what you truly are willing to speak up for. Think about it. Sinful desires and practices that seem so alluring and important one minute look insignificant and foolish when your way of life is in jeopardy the next minute. I know of no other rapid game changer like that than suffering. The experience of suffering is a tremendously valuable tool of increasing self-awareness. There's no way to know who you really are until you are tested. There is no way to really empathize and sympathize with other suffering people unless you have suffered yourself. There is no way to really learn how to trust God until you are drowning. Now, the thing about suffering is it does not only have the capacity to refine, but it also has the capacity to harden and consume. Plenty of people have been broken by suffering, and that's another risk. Terribly broken. So what do you have to do in order to grow by suffering instead of becoming hardened? or even destroyed by suffering, bitter by suffering. You learn to actually rejoice in suffering. Remember what I said earlier about people thinking we were weird? Serious suffering for the sake of Christ advances a process of sanctification. And we'll talk about that in a minute. The call to rejoice in suffering is nothing new. Jesus taught it in his Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, we rejoice because when we are persecuted because of Christ in the same way the prophets were before us. So there's that accumulative world legacy building up to the day of judgment thing again. 
Um, Great is our reward in heaven, it says. Paul found reason to glory in tribulations. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. We rejoice because suffering produces perseverance, which in turn produces character, and character, hope. So suffering starts this, this domino effect of sanctification. And James taught the trials ought to be occasion for joy. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, we rejoice because the testing of our faith produces patience. Uh, get out your translation. It, it might say endurance. It might say steadfastness. It might say perseverance. I would say all apply. And patience can help toward our being perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So there is something in God's mind and in the sight of God that says, if you haven't suffered, you're lacking. Not that, again, not that we should create our own suffering, but we should anticipate it and probably look forward to it. Serious suffering, as I mentioned, for the sake of Christ, then advances what we're calling sanctification, what the Bible calls sanctification. First Peter chapter one, verses six and seven read, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That, in a nutshell, really is my lesson. Peter extends the metaphor and depicts suffering not just as fire, but as a forge or furnace which can obliterate or improve, depending on the object thrust into the fire and the manner in which it is treated. 1 Peter 4 and 1, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. There is an element of maturation, growing up, attributable to suffering as an aid in becoming stronger and bolder in your faith. When you think about it, everyone will suffer. Christians are not will suffer. It's just a matter of when. I want to be one of the ones that suffers now. While we made it clear that the faithful will suffer in this lifetime, it is just as true that there will be no suffering for the faithful when we get to heaven. Revelation chapter 1, uh, chapter 1, verse tw chapter 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You know what, there, what else there won't be? There won't be people making fun of you. There won't be people surrounding you, demanding to know why you aren't joining them in their sinful practices. There won't be people firing you. There won't be people leaving you because you have stood up for Christ. On the other hand, the unrepentant sinners who may not be suffering in this life on any noticeable level will most certainly suffer later for eternity. I, I was in a personal conversation earlier today, and I don't, I don't remember who it was with or even what the context was, but I remember this coming out of my mouth. Hell is serious. And I think, I, well, I don't remember now, we were, we were talking about uh, popular faith and, and uh, warm milk. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. God is just. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. 
This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. That's the perfect segue to an invitation, isn't it? This has been... I, I don't know about you all, but and I'm, I'm really not shining you. I, this has been a great weekend. I, the, the lessons have been, not that they're not always good, but yeah, but you know, there, there are some where it's just like, wow, that was, wow, wow, that was, wow. Um, and I've just felt that way all weekend. It's been great. Thank you for having me. It's been great seeing so many of you. You've had several opportunities, if you have not obeyed the gospel of Christ, to do so, and you get one more here again now. Jesus is calling. God will protect. It's been explained to you, if you've been here the entire time, what you need to do. And it's been shown you the legacy that goes back thousands of years of tremendous faith, rewarded by our Lord. It's also been explained to you the salvation that can only be attained through Jesus Christ. And I've just read to you the fate <laughs> This isn't the book of Phil. It's the book of Revelation. It's the book of the Holy Spirit of God. I've just read to you the fate of those who will not or do not obey the gospel of Christ. We understand obedience to the gospel of Christ as accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and being baptized and getting started on whatever is left of your life on a path that leads to ultimate salvation with the absolute support and love of a congregation, the example and the legacy of brothers and sisters who have gone on, but ultimately the protection and ultimate reward from the only God, the one true living God. So cast it all aside, whatever it is that is holding you back. Let's get it done today. Please come forward and accept Jesus Christ as we stand and sing.